subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, Exploring the Human Endeavor. Kavi. Yes. I've heard that you own a diamond ring. I do, just one. <laughs> just the one. How big is it? It's 90 carats. Wow. What do people say when they see that? Is that real? Of course they do. And what do you tell them? Well, I don't want to be mugged, so then I tell them the truth. Where do you wear it? Well, I used to like wearing it on the subway here in Boston because just the contrast of this massive emerald-cut diamond on the tee. I knew that if I wore that out of the house, I would have a conversation with someone. Where'd you get it from? I think it was a free-for-purchase at a vintage store. My favorite kind of diamond. Me too. I guess we all want to fantasize that the person we've just met on the subway styling a two-inch crystal made from 100% carbon is an insanely rich princess. Hey, we all want a dream. And diamonds let us do that. They let us tell stories that we know aren't true. Stories full of promise, empty or otherwise. Well, right now, the diamond industry is going through a reimagining of its own story. And that includes the words it uses to tell that story. Not so much, is this stone real or fake? More like, is this genuine or artificial? Pure or man-made? Blood red or green? From Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America, this is Subtitle. Today, why the language used to describe diamonds is changing and how that may affect everything from the future of diamond mines in Africa to our understanding of authenticity. This is where this dispute rages over the definition of the word diamond. This is my friend Alina Simone. Over the years, she's done quite a bit of reporting on the diamond industry. And we're in the Diamond District of Manhattan, just a couple of blocks from Times Square. The thing you need to know about the Diamond District is that it is the least woke place in New York City. Wow, so how does that manifest itself? They're going to be men on the street. They're going to think that we are engaged. And our only reason for being on 47th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue is to find a ring for me. <laughs> yeah, and they're going to try to get our attention. And they're all men. I've never seen like a female diamond hawker on the street. So down 47th Street we go, stopping at window displays. How are you doing? I'm okay, sir. Stores with names like Larry's Fine Jewelry and Number One Diamond Source. You look at the window displays and you're just bombarded with bling. Most of the pieces have tags attached to them. Not with the price on, that's for later in the transaction. These tags announce that they come with certification. Where it says GIA certified, what does that mean? That means when you buy a stone, it comes with a blueprint of it. It's one of the salesmen Alina told me would meet. You know, because you want to know what you're buying, it's a passport of the stone. Where the color grade is, how the make is, everything is written on a certificate. So. You're 100% sure what you're buying and what you're investing in. What if it's a man-made diamond? We don't deal with that, but if it's a man-made diamond, you don't want to get involved with that. It's already getting ugly when it gets there. Why is it and getting it, ugly? 
because it's killing the market. And uh, I mean, there's buyers for that who wants to save money, or there's buyers for something that's natural. Natural versus natural unnatural. Versus unnatural, and there's a market for everything, right? As we walk further down 47th Street, Alina tells me about this linguistic battle of a natural versus unnatural. Diamonds that take between one and three billion years to form and are mined from deep under the Earth's surface, and diamonds that are manufactured in labs over the course of two weeks. The product is the same, the origin isn't the same. And so these linguistic tags, they're really all about the origin the story behind the diamond, which has always been how a value of a diamond has been assessed. There's an organization that helps to politely enforce the language that diamond sellers can use. It's called the Jewelers Vigilance Committee. Yeah, vigilance. They used to patrol this street. They've been around for 103 years. And they used to come down here, you know, incognito and look at the ads because that's how people found diamonds, you know, pre-internet. Now they do less and less of that and the majority of their patrolling takes place online. Instagram, Facebook, anywhere that a jewelry company might advertise, but also resale markets like eBay. I'm going to let Alina tell the story from here on out. Because they do all their patrolling online, I went to go visit the Jewelers Vigilance Committee at their office a few blocks away. If you're going to exchange your hard-earned money for a product, you want that company to be honest with you about what it is you're getting, right? Tiffany Stevens is the president of the Jewelers Vigilance Committee, an organization that works with members of the jewelry trade to help maintain legal and ethical standards. For example, if a dealer sells you a diamond ring for $5,000, and it turns out to be a $50 cubic zirconia, you can take that dispute to the Vigilance Committee. They also investigate complaints regarding false advertising. To ensure consumers are protected from fraud, the federal rules say dealers have to disclose if their diamonds are man-made, and advertisements of man-made diamonds aren't allowed to use words like real, natural, genuine, precious. The word diamond by itself, if you just use the word diamond by itself, that implies a natural diamond. So you can't just throw the word diamond out by itself or you're, you're making an assertion that it's a natural diamond. So you do have to modify it every time. If you are a seller of traditional mined diamonds and you see a competitor who produces man-made diamonds describing them as just diamonds, you can file a complaint with the Jewelers Vigilance Committee, whose lawyers will investigate, try to work things out with the offending party, and if all else fails, escalate the complaint to the feds. We're trying to create a level playing field for commercial activity while protecting the American consumer. That's our mission. But not everyone believes it's that straightforward. Some diamond makers contend the mining industry has used its wealth and linguistic lobbying power to hobble its competitors. I reached out to Martin Rothschisen, CEO of Diamond Foundry, one of the buzziest brands in the man-made diamond business. He told me over a not-great phone line what he thinks about the federally approved words diamond makers are asked to use. Terrible words, he says. The worst words that no one would ever use in marketing require competitive Words that won't even fit on a cell phone screen, like laboratory-grown, laboratory-created, or manufacturer-name-here diamonds. 
Those are the federal guidelines. Not quite as catchy as... Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Traditional mine diamonds may have a monopoly on words like rare and pure and natural, but their origin story is hardly flawless. Diamond mining has triggered bloody civil wars and caused massive environmental damage in some of the world's poorest countries. Man-made diamond makers like to point out their product is free of all that stigma. They've tried to coin their own super clean terms, green diamond or eco diamond, but these efforts have all ended with a warning letter from the Federal Trade Commission. Even descriptors that are pretty harmless, like above-ground diamonds, get noped. I figured that if anyone was happy with this whole linguistic regime, it would be the dealers of rare, natural, pure, below-ground diamonds. What else is so rare, so naturally brilliant? So exquisitely pure. After the break, traditional diamond makers strike back with their own linguistic demands. This year, give her the diamond that will take her breath away. Subtitle is a proud member of Hub and Spoke. It's a collective of energetic, idea-driven podcasts, including Culture Hustlers. It's a podcast about what it takes to be an artist, creatively and financially. Host Lucas Spivey talks to creators in his mobile studio, which is housed in a 1957 Shasta camper towed by a 73 Canadian ambulance. The latest episode from Kansas City includes some intense conversations with people who made that frightening leap into creativity. Check out all of the Hub and Spoke shows at hubspokeaudio.org. A hub for many dealers of mine diamonds is also in Midtown Manhattan, the Rappaport Group, which hosts a huge online trading platform for dealers of mined diamonds and only mined diamonds. I asked the group's founder, Martin Rappaport, about the rules of the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC. I kind of thought he would be okay with them. With all due respect to the FTC, when it comes to diamonds, they don't know what they're talking about. Literally. So some of you want to call them culture diamonds, but they're not cultured, okay? They call them laboratory diamonds, but are they really made in a laboratory? They're made in a factory, okay? They're produced the same way that you would produce any kind of manufactured product. So what's the problem? So what should FTC require man-made diamond makers to state in their ads? They should state that this diamond, if they want to call it a diamond, fine, this diamond can be produced in unlimited quantities and cannot be relied upon to retain value. So you feel like it should have a little warning, like, like a pack of cigarettes? Yeah, I think it just has to tell the truth. The truth. That can be a fluid concept in the world of marketing. And when it comes to a market with stakes as high as diamond dealing, the truth depends on where you stand. Is the FTC taking sides here? I wanted to find out. Hello, this is Rena. Rena Sood is a staff attorney with the FTC. She tells me the commission took a lot of factors into consideration when deciding which language should be used to describe diamonds. Most importantly, factual evidence. Laboratory grown may sound a little boring, but it's pretty accurate if the huge thrumming boxes that produce man-made diamonds are considered labs. 
Last year, after man-made diamond makers complained about the word synthetic, which had been in the guides for decades, the FTC weighed the evidence. It seems that there could be some confusion by consumers when the term synthetic is used to describe a man-made stone to imply somehow that man-made diamonds are inferior. So given that likelihood of consumer confusion, we removed it. For those hoping for a bright line definition between diamond and not diamond, the FTC's flexibility is a source of confusion and frustration. I think it really reflects this larger cultural moment and cultural conversation we're having about what is real and what isn't. This is Tiffany Stevens from the Jewelers Vigilance Committee again. It seems like we're kind of caught between these two major moments as a species um, between living in this very grounded reality and having certain technological advancements that create whole new realms for us. And for the traditional diamond industry, that technological churn means the goalposts keep moving. Take De Beers, a company whose name is practically synonymous with diamond mining. For decades, De Beers swore it would never sell man-made diamonds. But then, this year... When you think of diamonds, you're probably thinking of tradition, love, commitment, and forever. Well, now you can also think of affordable, because a new company is transforming the lab-grown diamond sector by offering high-quality... That new company is called Lightbox Jewelry, but was founded by De Beers. Tastes are changing. Consumers today want to know where their diamonds come from, and not everyone is willing to pay a premium for an adjective. Within just the past three years, sales of lab-grown diamonds have more than doubled. I don't know if that'll affect the livelihoods of all those salesmen in New York's Diamond District, but maybe, just maybe, even they will grow to love man-made diamonds. Or whatever they're called in the future. Would you care to tell us your name? Oh no, I thought you guys were going to purchase something. I thought you were showing her around, and then you would surprise her later over some dinner and wine. But that's what I told that's, you. That's just what she told me that you might think that. Why not? Why not? Why, uh, the night is still young, right? Yeah, the day is still just was born a second ago. There we go, romancer. <laughs> guys, have a good day. Wouldn't you know, there's a movie largely set in New York's Diamond District just out, or about to come out, depending on when you're listening to this. It's a crime thriller called Uncut Gems, starring Adam Sandler. Okay, that's it. If you like what you heard today, please give subtitle review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Tell a friend about us. Tell a friend of me. Help us get the word out. Sound design for this episode by Tina Toby. Special thanks to Jackie Mao, Sally Pillay, Allison Reed, and everyone at Hub and Spoke. And you can check out a picture of my massive but not very real 90 carat diamond on Instagram at Subtitle Pod. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, exploring the human endeavor. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.